0: Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. This is Paul writing um, alongside Timothy. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth, And of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in the world, and it is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day that we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. This passage of Scripture was written to the church in Colossea. Colosseum is about 180 k's east of Ephesus in modern day Turkey. It's not there anymore, but you can still see the ruins of the town to this day. And Paul wrote this to the church in Colosseum in about AD 60, about 30 years after Jesus had had died on the cross and risen again. Um, And he wrote it from jail. So he was locked up in Rome and he's written to, uh, to the church in Ephesus, he's written to the church in Philippi, and he's also writing to the church in Colossaea. Col- the church in Colossaea was planted by a guy by the name of Epaphras, who was saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus when Paul planted the church there in Ephesus. And so Epaphras writes to Paul and says, hey, I've planted this church, it's going pretty well. Um, and Paul, as soon as he hears about it, he says, "Well, I've got to write. I've got to, you know, communicate with the people." So he writes to the church, and this passage of scripture is from the opening few verses of that book, um, or this letter, as as it would have been back in the day. and And Paul writes this prayer, and he and there's prayers of Paul throughout the entire New Testament. There's these prayers that Paul prays over the church that you can pray over yourself. You know, one of the things that the church needed to know is not only did they have Epaphras, but they had Paul and Timothy who were praying for them, praying for them every single day. And and one of the things that you need to know is that as your pastors, Sarah and I pray for you every single day. We pray for you. But you've also got a church in, in, in Modbury. That is praying for you. We've got an eldership that's praying for you. We've got uh, intercessors that are praying for you. Pastor David and Donna are praying for you. We've got a church in Taylor and Bandu are praying for you. We are we have surrounded by people that are praying for us. We're not alone in this journey. We've got people that are walking alongside of us. And what does Paul pray? Paul prays that the church in Colosseia and also us as well that we may know and understand God's will so that we can walk worthy of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's prayer wasn't just that the church in Colossaea or just that you and I would know of Jesus, that we would study him theologically and we'd know his birth and we'd know his life and we'd be able to quote Scripture, his His. His prayer wasn't that we would know His love and that we would know Him emotionally. I mean, He does pray that, but not this particular prayer. It's not about feelings or it's not about knowledge. It's not about emotion. It's not being able to quote Scripture or pray prayers or to be able to um, cite liturgy or whatever it is, but it's about knowing God's will. You see, this Scripture is all about knowing God's will so that we can walk worthy of, of Jesus Christ, we ask for spiritual revelation that we may know the will of God. But the best place to start, you know, we quite often I'll say, well, you know, what is the will of God in this situation? As I'm parenting, as I'm as I'm uh, pastoring, as I'm doing my job, as I'm living my life, as I'm going about in my finances in everything that I do, I always ask and I pray. I say, God, what is Your will? For this situation, you know, there is the unknown will of God, but we have the known will of God right here. You know, we have the Word of God, we have His will, we have His known will right here. The Bible contains the will of God, and the Bible isn't just a collection of stories, it's not just a collection of poems, it's not just a collection of different things that have ad hoc been brought together, but it's the living, breathing Word of God, and it's the very breath of God. It's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. You know, so often I spend my time wondering and praying what is the will of God in this situation when the answers are all found in here already. You know, I, um, we used to have a, a, a Holden Vectra, a 2007 midnight blue Holden Vectra with tinted windows and it looked really nice but the CD player stopped working one day and there was a cd stuck in there it was my favorite cd no i don't remember what cd it was that was stuck in there but for 6 months or 7 months we drove around with this cd player that didn't work and i thought oh one day i'll i'll get around to that you know one day i should fix that just like many other jobs around the house uh, one day i'll get to that and then you know i started thinking well i should i really want to get this fixed and so i i youtubed it looked on youtube how to fix a cd player I asked lots of friends, um, you know, I I searched, I googled, I searched, you know, I, I tried to my best to find all of the answers and I looked around and I asked people that I thought may know, uh, you know, what to do and, and that was a good thing to do, you know, because there are people that are smarter than me when it comes to cars which is 99% of the planet um, and so eventually I thought, well, you know, maybe I should go look at the manual. And so I'm looking in the manual and at the back of the manual there's a troubleshooting section. And I look at the troubleshooting section and it says you need to replace the fuse. And there's a diagram there and it tells you what to do and so I open the fuse box. There's a little pair of pliers, a little, uh, you know, tongs or whatever. And you pull the little fuse out and I looked at it and they're like little colourful things and they've got little metal bits at the end and I looked at it and I thought, well, I don't know what a good fuse or a bad fuse looks like. I don't know why. Well, I'm looking at this, so I put it back in, and the CD player sprung to life. The CD popped out, it was working, it was fantastic. All this time I'd sort of delayed it, and then I spent more time going around and asking friends and trying to work out how I can do this. In the first place, I should have just gone to the manual. The car manual has all the design specifications, it has the troubleshooting tables, it has the engine and machine layout and the instructions for servicing. In the same way that the manual holds that for my 2007 Holden Vectra Midnight Blue with tinted windows and now a functioning CD player, the Word of God has that for our lives. It has the blueprint, it has the manual, it has the answers to every situation, every season, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're walking through. The answers can be found in the Word. Of God, You know, it's a good thing to go to your friends and ask them. It's a good thing to ask for advice. It's a good thing to to watch YouTube instructional videos on how to do this or maybe, as I do every now and then, go to chat GPT and ask an AI bot what it would do and then politely say thank you and say please don't kill me when you take over the world. But the answers aren't found in those things. The answers are found in the Word of God. And when we know the Word of God, As Paul prays, when we know the will of God, when we know his will for our marriage, for our parenting, for our finances, for the way that we live our life, when we know the boundaries, when we know the will of God that he has for us, then we know, as Paul prays, that we know how to walk worthy of the Lord. See, Paul tells us that when we know God's will, we can walk worthy. Paul uses the analogy quite often of a of a race. He says, "Fight the fight, run the race." You know, the race of life. We talk about the race, and we know that the race isn't a sprint. It's not a hundred meter dash, which I thank God for because I can probably do a fifteen meter dash quite comfortably, and then have a break, and then maybe another fifteen meter dash. But our life is a marathon. Our life, the, the race of life doesn't finish until we cross the finish line at the end of our days. You know, on September 28th in the year 2000, during the Sydney Olympics, there was a, a, a walker. You know, the, there's an Olympic sport for walking, which blows my mind, but nonetheless, the illustration stands true. Uh, her name was Jane Saville, and she'd been someone that was a, was, had competed for Australia in Commonwealth Games, and she'd done very well in in, in walking. 20 kilometres is the distance that they need to walk. And she'd been training for this her whole life, to walk an Olympics in your own country, in Sydney, to walk the Olympics, to, to compete at the highest level in your own country. And so she walked this race, Uh, And it's 20 kilometres and they're walking through the hills and they're walking through the Sydney suburbs and they're walking around and finally they're walking and they enter into the stadium and she's walking and she's uh, well above the nearest competitor. She's 30 metres ahead of her nearest competitor and she's going for gold. Her life's journey had culminated in this, all of her training, all of her early mornings, her restricted diet, her gym sessions, everything that she'd been doing to prepare for this moment had been, had been put into and this was it. She was 200 metres from the finish line and she's walking and, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like a horror movie, one of the referees jumps out and he flashes her a red card and she was disqualified because as she walked, the rules of when you walk in the, in the Olympics is both feet, one feet has to be on the ground at all times. If not, it's considered running. That's the technical difference. It's in the dictionary. It's not a lie. The technical, she'd broken a technicality within it and she hadn't walked worthy of crossing the finishing line and finishing and winning the gold. You know, Paul's prayer, isn't that that we just know God? It isn't that we sense God, that we feel God, that we know His love, that, that, that we can uh, read about Him, that we can know uh, Him theologically, but it's that we would know His will so that we can walk worthy, so that we can finish the race. We live in a world that elevates our feelings and our emotions as the guide and the gauge of how your life's at. You wake up in the morning and you feel like rubbish and so your life is rubbish. You wake up in the morning and you feel great, so your life is great. we, We judge our life based on how we feel, but we can't base the way that we run our race on our feelings. We have to base it on the will of God. Paul says in his first letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but, for, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore... I run thus not with the uncertainty with uncertainty thus I fight not as one who beats the air but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified we can't be someone who knows god who quotes god who preaches to other people who walks around and we lift our hands in worship and we do the things and we have the, we have the aura and the air of being someone who's running their race well, but in private, we're running a race that ultimately will get us disqualified. You know, we live in grace, but that doesn't mean we have no boundaries. It doesn't mean that we can live in sin. It doesn't mean that we can live and walk and talk how we want. Our life is a race and we need to run our race in a way that is worthy of the Lord running away that doesn't see us staring down the finish line, being able to see the finish line, but then getting that red card and seeing our prize, but being disqualified. Now this morning, I want to look at three benefits, three benefits of walking worthy. If you're taking notes, the first is that we please God. When we walk worthy, We please God. Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Now, when we are saved, when we submit our life to Christ, when we bring him in as Lord of our life, we aren't no longer living to please ourselves. We aren't living no longer to please our friends or to please our family. We don't live to please anyone else except to live in a way that honours God. We live and we decide to live for an audience of one. You know, I remember when uh, Sarah and I were were dating and then we got married. You know, I live my life now to please only one wife. Praise God. Because because I don't think I have the time and the energy for more than that. You know, I, I, I do things for Sarah that I wouldn't do for anyone else. You know, we... I get up, I make her a cup of tea, I I make sure I keep the house clean where I can. You know, I do the dishes if I need to. I do what I need to do to make sure that I'm pleasing and honouring Sarah as my wife. I do things for her that I wouldn't do for anyone else. You know, I live my life in a way and we walk in our marriage in a way that is pleasing to each other. And it's the same in our walk with God. We live in a way that honours God and that pleases God. The Bible is full of heroes that put aside their desire to put themselves and those around them first, but chose to please God and they ended up paying a larger price. Is it a bit warm in here? I feel a little bit warm. Side note, let's pause that. I'll come back in just a second. Thanks, Aaron. Look at you. He's already on it. Praise the Lord. Get the fans on. Put the air conditioning on. thanks Luke. You see Joshua, when he was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him and he read, Joseph, sorry, I have, I wrote Joshua, Joseph. Joseph could have been there too, just another guy, Joshua. Joseph, he wouldn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. He made a decision. He said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to insult my boss. I'm not going to insult my God by doing this thing. And he paid a heavy price for it. He ended up being in jail. Daniel wouldn't worship the Persian king Darius and ended up in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego wouldn't worship the gold statue. And they ended up in a fiery furnace. The Bible is full of heroes that make a choice to stand up for righteousness, to stand up for holiness, to say, I don't care what other people think. I don't care what my workmates think. I don't care what the leaders may think. I don't live to please anyone, but I live to please an audience of one. And they made a choice and they ultimately paid for it. But Joseph rose to become the most powerful man in Egypt. God shut the mouths of the lions and kept Daniel safe. When the three brothers were thrown into the fiery furnace and the king looked in, he shouted, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they aren't hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of god you know to walk worthy of the lord and to walk in his will it does require sacrifice but when we sacrifice there is always a blessing on the other side i think of the rich young ruler in matthew chapter 19 and he comes to jesus and he says what you know what can i do and jesus says you know follow the commandments Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. Love your neighbour as yourself. Honour your mother and father. Uh, Love your neighbour. Jesus says these things and the rich young ruler says, but I do all these things already. And so Jesus says to him, why don't you sell all your possessions, give it all to the poor and then come and follow me. And he says, this is something that I can't do. And it says in Matthew 19 that he went away sorrowful. The rich young ruler couldn't let go of his wealth. He couldn't give it to God. He couldn't let go of the thing that gave him a sense of security. He couldn't give away the thing that he held tight and he held dear. He couldn't give it away. And it says that he walked away sorrowfully. But if only he knew the blessing that was on the other side of obedience. When we live to please God, there is always a sacrifice, but there is always a blessing on the other side. Matthew 19 it goes on to say, what Jesus says to his disciples after the rich young ruler has gone, and says, And everyone left, they went to their houses, or, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, Jesus is talking, and he sacrifices them for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. When we sacrifice, when we follow the will of God, you know, sometimes it is a sacrifice. A lot of the time there is blessing in just following the Word of God and the will of God for our lives. When we choose to live a life that pleases God and honours Him, there may be a sacrifice, but on the side, other side of every sacrifice, there is a blessing. When we give Him our deeper sadness, He replaces it with the oil of joy. He replaces death with life, so he gives us beauty for ashes, whatever we let go of, and when we choose to walk in his will, it's always replaced with something beautiful. When we choose to walk worthy, first of all, we work, we please God, and secondly, if you're taking notes, the second point is that we bear fruit. It says Paul says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him and being fruitful in every good work. See, when we walk in the will of God, when we walk in the will and and, and the known will or or the unknown will, what what God has set out for your life, as a natural byproduct, you will bear fruit. You know, there are nature's, there's laws in nature. Some of these things I don't really understand, but there are laws in nature, such as gravity. What goes up must come down, you know, if I let go of this microphone, the law of gravity will say that it will fall to the ground. Do you want to see it happen? I was just waiting to see Aaron's reaction and he didn't flinch. There are laws in life. You know, there's the, there's the, there's the law of motions and the laws of thermodynamics and the law that states that whenever living on a prayer by Bon Jovi comes on, you need to stop whatever you're doing and sing it as loud as you can. Because, whoa, we're halfway there. Thank you, the Stanford Family Choir. (laughs) There are laws in life, natural laws that exist. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. There are laws in life. And one of the laws that we need to know is that if you walk in the will of God, if you walk in the will that he has for you in your life, you will... Bear fruit. Matthew 21 verse 18, it says, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. This is Jesus. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Jesus looked at this fig tree. It was a good fig tree, it had a good trunk, it had good bark, it had good root systems, it had beautiful foliage. It looked great, it looked strong, it looked healthy, but it didn't have any fruit. The very thing that the fig tree was created to do was to bear fruit. And sometimes we can look at people in life and we see the blessing and we see the favor, we see uh, an outside prosperity, we see a, a genuine happiness, we see things happening in their life. but the things in our life that happen to us aren't there for that's not the end point, they're there so that we can bear fruit. I remember when Sarah and I were dating, we uh, quite often after church, we'd go back to her parents' house. They lived in Burnside, I don't know. Burnside, they're wealthy. No, they're not. They're priests. We would drive down Glimburn Road and we'd go past a Red Rooster. And at the time they had this deal, $10 for a whole chicken and a large chips. Praise the Lord. That's a very good deal. Every Sunday after church, we stopped in, we saw the sign. First Sunday we stopped in and we saw the sign, we stopped in, went in through the drive through can we please have the large the chicken and the large chips deal? And they said, Oh, we're out of chickens. You're a red rooster. <laughs> Your thing is chickens. It's like going to a dairy farm and there not being any milk. You're a red rooster. So the next week, Sunday, we're driving home from church and we drive down Glenburn Road. We see the sign again and think, well, that was a once-off. That obviously wouldn't happen again. We drive in, pull in the drive-thru. Can we please have the large the chicken and the large chips for $10? And they said, Uh, We have no chickens. This went on for three weeks before we decided never to give that red rooster a go again. And then it closed down. And uh, it's now in a porto. So there you go. The red rooster was open. It had its lights on. It looked great. It had the painting. It had been done up. It had the red rooster sign. It had the. People there in the, behind the counter, they had the uniform on and the little sun visor and the thing, walkie-talkie thing that they talked through. They had computers to take orders. Everything that they needed to fulfil their purpose, they had except the one thing, which was chicken. And I still feel a little bit of resentment and bitterness about it <laughs> as we talk about it. You know, when we walk in the will of God, We have all these things, you know, in life. People, you know, we may look strong. We may look like we have it all together. We may have a full bank balance. We may have things internally that are going well for us. We may feel like we walk in joy or, you know, we we feel like we've got everything together. But if we're not bearing fruit, which is the very thing that we've been called to do, then what are we living our life for? You know, give me someone who's got issues and problems, and 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 they come in and they're broken and they're hurt, but they're they're bearing fruit. They're seeing souls saved. They're seeing, they're seeing, uh, they're praying for people and seeing people healed. You know, some of the best people that join your church are new Christians because they just take the word of God literally and go out and do it. You know, sometimes we see people and they've got it all together and they've got everything together, but they're not bearing fruit. We're called to bear fruit. And when we walk in the will of God, when we walk in the call of God and the will of God, we naturally bear fruit. You know, the early disciples, the 120 in the upper room, you know that 120 people in the upper room, they shook the entire world. On their first day after the the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. A couple of days later, another 2,000 people were saved. Over time, the the Christian faith grew and we now have 2.6 billion Christians on the face of the planet. If 120 Christians walking in the will of God, full of the power of God can shake the planet, imagine what 2.6 billion Christians can do to this planet. We have a lot of Christians that look good They've got the foliage. They've got the strong trunk. They've got a good root system, but they're not bearing fruit. We know the lingo. We sing the songs. We know when to put our hands up and put our hands down. We know when to read the Bible. We could quote quote Scripture, but we're not bearing fruit. When we walk in the will of God, which says we've been called to love our neighbours as ourselves, we've been called to make disciples. When we know the will of God for our lives, we naturally bear fruit. And I believe that as a church, this church, when we walk in the will of God, when we value what He values and we walk in it, that we will see fruit, that we will see souls saved, that we will see our lives transformed, that we will see whole families coming to God and seeing their lives transformed forever because the reality for Mount Barker is that we have a lot of people that are on their way not to heaven on their way to hell whoever said that thank you very much we have a community that doesn't need christians within four walls putting up their hands putting them down we have a community that needs christians who can't just quote scripture but will actually go out and and love our neighbors as we love ourselves that will bear fruit that when we're at work and we see someone having a tough time and we see people going through life then maybe we can pray for them Maybe we can bring them a meal. Maybe we can be the hands and feet of Christ to our community because when we walk in the will of God, we are blessed, we, are prosper- we, we find prosperity, we find love, we find peace, but it's all for the purpose of bearing fruit. When we walk in the will of God, we will see souls saved, we will see the sick healed, we will see bondages and strongholds broken over people's lives. Man, it's an exciting journey. It's an exciting journey. You know, it's like I think of the great trailblazers that went through America discovering the Midwest. You know, it's like them having everything that they need but then staying in New York City. You know, we're going on a great adventure. We've got a great thing. We've got so much work to do in our our town. We've got so many families that need the love of God, that need to know his presence. Man, it's an exciting journey to be on and we all get to be a part of it. Three benefits of walking worthy... First, we please God. Secondly, we bear fruit. And finally, we are filled with power. Colossians, Paul says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Might is the same word. It's the Greek word dunamis, which was used in Acts 1 verse 8. It says you shall receive Power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When we walk in God's will, when we walk in God's purposes for our lives, we walk in power. We walk in that dunamis, explosive, miraculous power. Power to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Power to cast out every type of devil and demon and power to walk in prosperity and blessing. You know, it's God's will that you be healed, that you be healthy, that you're blessed and that you walk in favour, that you walk in the dunamis power of God, that when we lay hands on the sick, they will be healed. That when we share the gospel, people will be saved. And that when we pray, things will happen. I, you know, The, the middle of winter, it gets dark about 5.30. Um, and so sometimes driving home, it feels like it's 10 o'clock at night, but it's not. You know, And I get home, and I get home about 5.45, and it's dark outside. And I walk in, and, and Isla does her homework on the kitchen table, and she's got her laptop open, and I can just see her leaning forward. And it's pitch black, and except for the laptop. And I'm like, babe, why don't you put some lights on? Like, We have so many lights. We have an incredible amount of lights. Uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of lights that we have. If I was Donald Trump, I'd say we've got the best lights ever. We have electricity in our house. We've got so much available to be able to illuminate the situation and to help your homework doing more easy. Yeah, you know, all you need to do is get up and switch them on. <laughs> now, it's a silly analogy, but so often we know about the lights. We think about the lights. We speak about the lights. We, 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 we. We tell others about it, but we need to walk in and switch on the lights. We speak power, we claim power, we bind and rebuke and we do everything that we need to do, but sometimes we need to walk in power. We need to step out and operate in power. We say that, you know, we get into our prayer closet and we get into our wartime and we pray and we rebuke and we cast out demons and we do everything and it's fantastic and, you know, I'm listening to worship in my car, in my secret place, But when the rubber hits the road, sometimes we require it. You know, it's about stepping out and actually walking in the power that God has given us. I think of the great analogy of one of the great heroes of the Bible, a guy by the name of Clark Kent. You find him in uh, the book of Philip. Yeah, Clark Kent. Clark Kent is Superman. Superman is indestructible. He's obviously an imaginary, made-up figure. I want to clarify that he's not a Bible figure because there are children in here. I forget that. Uh, there is no parable about Superman. Sorry. But Clark Kent, he's, he's, he's Superman. He's powerful. He's indestructible. He's faster than a speeding bullet. He's stronger. He can jump over tall buildings. He can do all sorts of things. Clark Kent. But then he chooses to live his life as a powerless news reporter. He walks around with his glasses on, fooling everyone. I remember watching Smallville when I was a kid and he'd get bullied. Kids would pick on him. He'd play rugby or whatever the American football is and he'd hold back his power because he didn't want to be, you know, he'd be someone that would hide his power and he could only operate in the power of Superman when he's wearing that fantastic blue suit with a bright red cape and bright red undies on the outside. <laughs> Clark Kent's power was reserved for when he was using his, wearing his uniform and he had removed the, old, the biggest part of his uniform the glasses. Do it, Luke. Take them off. Where'd Luke go? Where's Luke gone? And so often we feel like as Christians that we can only walk in our power when it's a certain time, when we're in a certain moment, when certain things are going on. Maybe it's in church or maybe it's maybe our power that God's given us is reserved for our, for our war room or for our prayer closet. Or maybe the power is only reserved that I can only lay hands on Pray for people to be healed when there's an altar call and there's beautiful keyboards playing, you know, or whatever that is. But the power that we're meant to walk on, unlike Clark Kent and Superman, we're called to walk in that power 24-7. In our homes, in our workplaces, when we're at the shops, when we're at our school, when we're at the gym. You know, we aren't called just to take authority and dominion in our quiet time, but in every area of our life. Matthew 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We aren't called to keep the hidden. God's power isn't just for the church. His power isn't just for our prayer closet or our war room, but it's for our schools, it's for our workplaces, it's for our families, it's for every area and every sphere of our life and church. We are called to let our light shine. Amen? Thus endeth the message. In the words of the great preacher, Pastor David Hall. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to close in just a moment. Luke, if you could join me, that would be fantastic. When we know the will of God, we work worthy of the Lord, walk worthy of the Lord. It pleases Him. We bear fruit and we walk in power. You know, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed across this place, I don't know your journey, I don't know what background you've come from, but you might have come into this place and you say, uh, I don't have a relationship with God. I'm not walking with Him like I should be. I haven't made Him the Lord of my life. Well, maybe you once did. Maybe you once walked with God. Maybe you once uh, were a Christian. Maybe you once walked with Him, but you've stepped away and it's time to come home. Right across this place this morning, if that's you today, you want to come back to God Or maybe it's for the first time you want to make a decision to follow Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. We're not going to do anything weird, not going to do anything wonderful. We're just going to pray a prayer. But if that's you, I want to know who I'm praying for today. Would you do me a favor and just lift your hand right up high in the sky? You're you're lifting it to God. No one is looking around except me. You're lifting it to God. You're not lifting it to man, but you're lifting it to God. I just want to know who I'm praying for today. Is there anyone here who would say, it's time for me to come home? Time for me to recommit my life to God. It's time for me to make a decision for the first time. Is there anyone here at all? As I look across this place one more time. God bless you, church. I'm gonna pray this prayer that Paul prayed to the church in. Colossians, I'm going to pray it over us this morning I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding I pray that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, that you would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power Holy Spirit, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your presence. I Thank you for your touch. I pray, Lord God, for your blessing and your favour to be upon each and every one of us. I pray, Lord God, that we would walk worthy and we would walk in a way that we would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I thank you, Father. I pray your blessing. I pray your favour over each and every one of us. I ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen.